Our gospel reading this morning reminds us that the goal of human life, the goal of our lives, is to enter the kingdom of God. It's why Jesus came, to establish God's reign on earth as it is in heaven and to invite people to enter into the joy of God's reign. This was Jesus' heartbeat from the very beginning of his ministry, and it's his heartbeat for us here and now. The time is fulfilled, said Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn around. Believe. Rest your whole life on this good news. According to Jesus, the kingdom is not based on who wins an election or who holds public office or who claims to have power or authority in this world. According to Jesus, the kingdom is good news for the poor. It's liberty for the captives. It's recovery of sight for those who are blind. It's freedom for the oppressed. According to Jesus, the kingdom is forgiveness of sins. It's the defeat of the devil. And it's the beginning of a totally new creation. According to Jesus, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to announce this kingdom. He came to enact this kingdom and to invite people to enter this kingdom. I mean, this is what Jesus cherished. He cherished his father's name, and he cherished his father's kingdom, and he wanted others to come into the joy of cherishing those things with him. To hear those wonderful words, enter into the joy of your master. And it's for this reason that I think we hear Jesus speak the way that he does in our gospel reading this morning. For our joy, he extends to us an invitation to enter through the narrow gate. And for our joy, he issues a warning that we not be deceived that we're entering the kingdom when we're really not. So first, the invitation comes in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, says Jesus. Now note the language that Jesus uses to describe our active relationship to the kingdom. It's not establish the kingdom, it's not build the kingdom, it's not make the kingdom a reality here, rather it's enter the kingdom. Throughout the Gospels, this seems to be the language that Jesus just uses most to describe our activity in relation to the kingdom. It's seeking and it's entering. It simply is assumed by Jesus that the kingdom is a reality, that it is in fact here, that in and with and through Jesus anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom is pressing into the world in every time and place. It is not our job to make the kingdom of reality. It is coming, according to Jesus. It is our job to seek it and to enter into it. Enter by the narrow gate, says Jesus. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is saying we have a clear choice here, and we can't avoid the choice. Which gate, which path, which crowd, which destination? See, according to Jesus, there are only two gates in life. The wide one and the narrow one, there's no other gate. There are only two ways in life. The easy one and the hard one, there is no middle way. There are only two crowds in life, the many and the few. There is no neutral group. And there are only two destinations of life, destruction or life. And there is no third alternative. 
Jesus seems to be saying to us that we and every human being is faced with a choice. Will we enter into default mode with the crowds or will we follow Jesus in the narrow and often hard path to true life? See, Jesus is aware that people of every culture and time and place in society tend to follow the crowd, to live for what can be made and achieved in this world alone, to invest all their hopes and dreams in what can be done here and now. The comforts of the cares in the world, uh, the cares of the world, Jesus said, so can so easily choke out the seeds of the kingdom. It doesn't take much effort, it seems to, Jesus seems to be saying. We don't have to try to do this. It's simply like the default mode of life in the world. Kierkegaard, in his book, Sickness Unto Death, he described it in a quite a powerful way. He said this, quote, surrounded by hordes of people, <laughs> busy with all sorts of secular matters more and more shrewd about the ways of the world. Kierkegaard was writing in a time where the sophistication of modern society was developing at such a rapid technological pace. And the, our, our lifestyle of society was getting in a sense better and better so it seemed as we made progress in the world. But he warns us of getting caught up with the crowd. He goes on, such a person can easily forget himself. Forget his name, divinely understood. Such a person can easily dare not to believe in himself, to find it too risky to be himself, far easier and safer to be like others, to become a copy, a number, part of the crowd, walking through the wide gate, end quote. See, I think Jesus is telling us that the invitation that he wants us to come into means resisting living in a default mode, enter by the narrow gate. You see, throughout Jesus' life, people were intrigued and fascinated by his kingdom gospel. They wanted it. He spoke of things they craved for, they longed for, they looked for, and could not find anywhere else in the world as they knew it. And yet, as they found themselves attracted to Jesus and trying to follow him, they soon discovered that this kingdom life was not so easy. That it was hard to live right side up in an upside down world. That it was hard to love in a world of power. That it was hard to trust in a world of confusion. It was hard to hope in a world of death and despair. And so Jesus had to make it clear to his disciples all along the way, there's a very real cost to discipleship. I remember meeting somebody in Canada, young graduate student from Mauritius, and he, we were reading through the Gospel of Luke together, um, which was just a fascinating endeavor to see, um, see somebody kind of hear Jesus' words from non through non-Western eyes, basically. And he found himself really attracted to Jesus, but his family was Hindu. And so when I got through and I asked him, I said, you're so attracted to Jesus. What is the hang up for you? And he said to me, to follow Jesus would cost me my family because my family's Hindu. And if I follow Jesus, then I will no longer be a part of the family. And it hit me in a fresh way that I personally hadn't experienced in exactly the way he is that when Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me, 
Like that means real relational tactile things sometimes. The wide gate, I think, according to Jesus, is a life without the cross. It's comfort without challenge. It's forgiveness without repentance. It's faith without obedience. It's Jesus as Savior without Jesus as Lord. It's Jesus the Redeemer without Jesus the Teacher. And the easy way, I think, according to Jesus, is life without divine revelation and guidance and wisdom. It's belief without having to have the specificity of truth. <laughs> it's ethics without having to have the boundaries that are put in place by goodness. It's relationships without having to deal with the demands of justice. And it's discipleship without having to listen to the word of God. Many will find this path appealing, says Jesus, far more appealing than the narrow path of the kingdom. They will get to have the world for its own sake and on their own terms. They will get to do as they please. They will get to have a life free from restraint and responsibility. And yet Jesus calls his disciples to a different way of being, to a different way of walking, to a different way of living and relating, a road far less traveled that will be harder at times, but which Jesus says is the only road that leads to true and abiding and abundant and full life. And Jesus knows the human heart. He knows that the human heart craves life. We were made for life, not death. And Jesus wants to re lead us to that life. Enter by the narrow gate, says Jesus. Let me and my words guide you along the hard path to life. That's the invitation that Jesus has for us this morning. And remember, as I said at the beginning, Jesus speaks it to us because he wants our joy. He wants us to know joy in the kingdom of God. And it's for the same reason that Jesus then speaks a warning to us, to the religious. He says, not everyone who says to me, verse 21, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here we seem to encounter Jesus depicting a religious person who has committed themselves to following Jesus and his kingdom way, have said, Jesus is first in my life, and I am a follower of Jesus. It's a person who seems to have quite a good orthodox confession of faith. Jesus is Lord. This person knows it and they confess it well. And it's also a person who seems not only to be able to say the right things about Jesus, but that has a genuinely powerful and fruitful and Christ-centered ministry. Prophesying in the name of Jesus, casting out demons in the name of Jesus, doing mighty works in the name of Jesus. No doubt this is the sort of person in our day and age who would win the admiration of many, who would draw crowds and, and be asked to speak at conferences and publish books on God-empowered prophetic kingdom ministry. And yet we are told, Jesus is not so impressed. I never knew you, says Jesus in verse 23. Think about that for a second. I, I can't imagine hearing that from the Savior of the world. I never knew you, no doubt with pain and sorrow in his voice. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's sober words from the Savior of the world. Jesus seems to suggest that a person 
can say the right things and have a life that a ministry that seems to be impressive and full of the powerful presence of the kingdom of God, and yet somehow miss the reality and the heartbeat of the gospel. Because we can know all the right things, and yet Jesus not know us. According to Jesus, it seems that at the heart of the kingdom life is a life of communion, of common union, of not only knowing, but of this reciprocal being known. I mean, I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, for now, for now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then in the kingdom, in the fullness of the kingdom, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. And here's the key line. Even as I have been fully known. Notice what Paul is doing. He's saying that the fullness of the kingdom is getting to know God face to face and getting to know him fully in the same way that he has already known us fully throughout the duration and entirety of our lives. See, the Christian life is about knowing God, but even more fundamentally, Jesus seems to be saying it is about being known by him, fully known, unconditionally known, unreservedly known living continually and constantly in the light of his holy and loving gaze as a mother does with a newborn child. One may very well say true things about Jesus and do many noble things for him, but the question Jesus presents to us is, did you take the time to share your life with me? And if this is where we're at, and, and I feel this myself, then we may be missing the core of the kingdom according to Jesus. And it may be that here in this warning, Jesus is inviting us into a deeper place, into a wholeness and a being known that we have not yet experienced from him. But Jesus also goes on in this passage. He seems to suggest that the problem is not merely relational, but also moral. That this religious person that Jesus describes has not only failed to share their lives with Jesus, but they have failed to align their lives with the will of Jesus' Father. In a sense, Jesus is saying, this person has preached a Christian message, but that Christian message has hidden an unchristian life. It's what our Old Testament reading describes for us. Amos chiding the Israelites. They worshiped in all the beauty of holiness and all the impassioned melody of song, and yet they did nothing, says Amos, about the oppression of the needy and the poor and the afflicted. Not aligned with the will of the Father. It's what Jesus questioned the Pharisees about. A woman comes and anoints Jesus' feet with costly perfume, offering the hospitality that the Pharisees refused to offer him in a loving act of adoration. And the Pharisees sit at a cool, calm, judgmental distance discussing the fiscal irresponsibility of such an act. Hearts misaligned from the will of the Father. It's what Paul confronted Peter about, we hear in the book of Galatians. Peter professes to believe the gospel of the Messiah that is for all people, Jew and Gentile alike, and yet he retreats into well-worn cultural boundaries and refuses to share the table with the Gentiles, choosing segregation instead, misaligned with the will of the Father. 
you see in every time and every place, there exists the temptation toward a certain sort of religious hypocrisy, living a double life, saying one thing while doing another, proclaiming one message while living another. And Jesus is warning us of this right here, right now. He's warning us of it because he wants us to enter into the joy of his kingdom, to experience righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, to be aligned with the will and heart of the Father. He wants us to hear his voice at that last day of judgment, not saying, I never knew you, but well done, good and faithful servant. And so Jesus speaks honest words now so that we can hear joyful words then. And he asks us this searching question. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven, but are you really entering the kingdom of heaven? Have you really chosen the narrow gate and the hard way, the only way to life? And is your heart and your life and your words really aligned with the will of my Father in heaven? I'm thankful personally this week that Jesus loves to speak words of truth to us. He loves us enough to speak words of truth to us. And I'm reminded that he shares the heartbeat of the Father. That's why he says, fear not, little flock. Fear not. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. My brothers and sisters, I speak these things to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.